Good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Matthew 5 today. Matthew chapter 5, looking at a maybe what is a familiar passage to some, uh, maybe new to others, and hopefully we can give it some fresh eyes this morning as we're continuing and closing out our series called um, Own the Vision, where we've been looking at the values that drive us as a congregation. Next week, we'll just have a, a one-off message. And then uh, December 1st, we start our Christmas series through the holidays called I'll Be Home for Christmas, where we're going to be looking at just some of the classic Christmas stories and just reliving the nostalgia surrounding the Christmas season. We'll have some videos from folks in our church just retelling and sharing some memories that they have from growing up on the Christmas season. And um, so it should be very exciting, my favorite time of the year personally. So if you will stand with me in honor of reading God's word today, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start um, down in verse 13 and read through verse 16. Jesus speaking, and he says these words, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. In heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for your word. Thanks for this day, God. Thanks for the privilege we have to gather as your church. And God, now I pray as we walk through these verses together that your spirit would speak to us. Lord, give us the ears we need to hear from you, the hearts to receive your word, and the hands and feet to live this out as we walk closer with Jesus today and the rest of this week. We love you, Father. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I read a story this week of an ancient legend that was supposedly shared by early Christians in the first century, specifically during the time that they were under the streets of Rome in the catacombs. And they would tell this story and this legend to encourage each other, but the story was specifically about Acts chapter 1, shortly after Jesus had just went back to heaven after his resurrection. And the story that this early church told back in forth was told that when Jesus first arrived in heaven there in Acts chapter 1, that he was met by the angel Gabriel. And when Gabriel met Jesus there in heaven, he said, Lord, who did you leave behind to carry on your work now that you're no longer on earth? And Jesus took a few moments and shared with Gabriel about this band of disciples and fishermen and tax collectors and people from various backgrounds that he had left on planet earth to continue his work and his mission. It's said in this legend that Gabriel then looked at Jesus and said, but Lord, what if, what if they fail? What if, what if they happen to lose heart? What if they just give up? What if they drop out of the mission? What if things just get too rough for those folks you left behind and they can no longer carry on your work and they let you down? And the legend goes that Jesus looked at Abriel and says, well, or Gabriel and says, well, Gabriel, then everything I've done, everything that I worked for for so long, everything we did on earth to accomplish getting the gospel to those people so they could come back to us would all be laid to nothing at that point. I've left it in their hands. Gabriel looks at Jesus and says, well, is there a backup plan? What else are you going to do? What if they do fail? Because it's likely, based on what we know about humans, that they're going to fail this task that you've left them with. And Jesus says, Gabriel, no, it's, it's all I've got. The church is it. And if they don't do it, then I don't know what else is going to happen. Gabriel says, but Jesus, what if they do fail? Have you thought it through? And the early church would always recite this phrase back and forth to each other. They won't fail. They won't 
fail. And I think of that story this week, and as we've been doing this series that we've called Own the Vision, as we're looking at these guiding values that kind of drive us as a congregation. We've said the past two weeks that our values serve as the guardrails that keep us going in the right direction as a church. We can do a lot of good things, but we want to do great things and right things and what God has specifically called this congregation to do. We know that within five miles of where we sit this morning, there's almost a quarter million people that don't know Jesus. And we're crazy enough to believe that God is going to use our congregation in some capacity to turn that dial back on lostness so that people come to know Jesus as their Savior and we can transform the spiritual landscape of Northwest Columbus for generations to come. One person by one person by one person. We saw the first week that we as a church, we believe that we're four the gospel, meaning that the gospel is of primary importance to everything that we do. So we always elevate and celebrate Jesus in everything. And I hope that you know and you've picked up on that as our church continues to move forward. We said last week that we are for the local church, meaning that we will always equip and send the people that are part of our church to live on mission. We gather to function as the body of Christ, and then we live on mission throughout the week. And this week in Matthew 5, I want us to see why we say around here that we are for the city. And we say that the the phrase is very simple. It'll be on our screen. But we remind ourselves of this all the time. And it's that we always will seek the advancement of the community. As a congregation, we always seek the advancement of the community in which we find ourselves. It's interesting this week as I was writing some of these things down, I realized that seeking the advancement of the community really begs the question, which one? Which community? Our church right now is located in Dublin, but you may not have known this. In our congregation right now, two-year-old church, we actually have 15 different communities represented in Living Hope Columbus. That's why actually we call ourselves Living Hope Columbus and not Living Hope Powell, not Living Hope Dublin, nothing very specific, Columbus in general, because there's so many communities that God has brought to be part of this local congregation. So which community do we want to make a difference in? Which one do we want to advance forward? All of them. That's a pretty simple answer. We want to see all of them advance. Like right where you are, if you are the church, which we saw that you are last week, we want the advancement of that community to take place. So that means today, if you leave here and you go down and you get lunch in Dublin, it means in that moment where you find yourself seated that you're for Dublin, right in that moment. If you go home to Powell today, it means you're for Powell. If you go to work tomorrow in Marysville, it means you're for Marysville. When we say that we're for the city, we're for whatever community people in our church find themselves where we're living on mission for God's glory and the benefit of those people. Wherever God places you in every single moment, that's who we're for when we say that we're for the city. But the question we want to answer today is how do we do that? How should that practically look if I'm a follower of Jesus saying that I'm for the city, wherever God places me moment by moment, each day, what does that actually look? look like. Here in Matthew 5, we're going to find the answer to that question. In these four simple verses, tucked away in here, what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. So this is Jesus's longest sermon that he ever preached that we have written down. Uh, This is incredibly long if you read it in its entirety. Longest sermon, Sermon on the Mount, written down here. He gives us this blueprint on how a Christian is supposed to function in society in their city. Look at this verse real quick. John chapter 17, verse 18. Jesus is praying to God. This is a a high priestly prayer of Jesus. And he says these words, As you sent me into the world, so he's talking about God. Philippians 2, Jesus came from heaven down to earth to live as a man, to die for you and me. So sent by God, 
Now watch this. I've also sent them, that's you and that's me, sent them into the world as well. So just as Jesus was on mission for us, so we're on mission for the benefit of other people. Different places, different spots all over the city every single day. What kind of trail are we leaving behind as followers of Christ? Jesus has given us influence, spheres of influence at our work, at our family, uh, where we work out, where we go shopping, all over the place. What kind of influence and difference are we making as Christ followers? And Jesus says two things to describe us. And these may be familiar to you. Man, these are a good reminder. He calls us salt and he calls us light. I would have preferred something like real cool, like warrior, you know? But he's like, no, no, no. Hey, dude, you're table salt. That's amazing, isn't it? You're a flashlight. Congratulations. But he calls us salt and he calls us light. Why does he call us those things? Well, they're familiar to these people. In their context, these folks sort of understand what Jesus was saying. But the nature of salt and light suggests two things. Write these down. These are important. Why salt? Here's why. Because the world is decaying from sin. Romans chapter 6 talks about that. The world is decaying from sin, and so salt is necessary. And we'll talk about that in just a second. Why light? Why would Jesus call us light? Because the world is in spiritual darkness and needs some hope from somewhere. There's spiritual decay. There's spiritual darkness all over the place. And Jesus has sent you and I as his followers into the world as the solution and with the solution to those problems. And so why does he call us salt and light? Let's look at these two things real quick. First off, Jesus calls us scattered salt. Write down that word scattered. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. Verse 13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste, how can it be made salty? It's a rhetorical question. If salt loses its taste, what do you do with it? You throw it out. That's what Jesus says. It's no longer good for anything. Throw it out, trample under by people's feet. Jesus starts this verse, you are salt. What's the purpose of salt in the world? Simple question. There's so many things. Salt used for preservation. We're going to talk about that more in just a second. But in a, a, a society where you didn't have refrigeration, you needed salt. Salt is used for things like flavor and taste. Y'all know this. Some of y'all, when you cook, you use salt. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Salt is used for death. You can read in the book of Judges about this little uh, uh, like, um, fight that happened between these two individuals. So one of them actually took bags of salt and scattered them in the field of this other guy. Guess what happens to the field at that point? It's useless. It just promotes death at that point. It's used for death. Salt was also very valuable. In the Old Testament, you see where salt was exchanged often instead of money. We could go so many directions with why Jesus called us salt, but let's talk about first about flavor. I think this is important. Let's talk about why would Jesus call us salt for flavor? If you like to cook, this will make sense to you, but salt is a valuable flavoring additive. Here it is, when it's used in its proper amount. You ever realize that? Look, I don't cook that much, so I'm not an expert when it comes to speaking on using salt for cooking by any way, shape, or form. Uh, my wife's been sick this weekend, so yesterday I had to cook for my girls. So at one point we made cinnamon rolls, at the, at the other, because that's easy, put them in the oven, we're done. And the second point, I cooked by ordering a pizza, so that's just what we do. But I attempted to cook yesterday for lunch by making grilled cheese, and wouldn't you know it, I screwed it up, all right? So uh, I'm not the expert when it comes to cooking by any way, shape, or form. But one thing that I hate cooking because I think they're disgusting and they're gross is eggs, all right? But when you cook eggs, think about this. When you cook eggs, what does everybody, unless you're one of those super crazy health nut people and you can't do this, what do we always put on our eggs when they're in the pan? Salt. Why do we do that? Because eggs are bland and they need the flavor additive to bring some life to them. 
It's funny. Did you know that the Bible actually talks about the fact that eggs are bland and they need salt? I didn't know this. Job 6, verse 6. Job's talking to his buddy. I threw it on the screen just because I thought this was hilarious. Is bland food eaten without salt? Rhetorical question. No, it's not. Job says, is there any flavor in an egg white? No, that's why it needs salt. All right? I just thought that was funny. Take that home. You can tell somebody at the water cooler this week. But in the right amount, salt brings flavor. In the wrong amount, what happens? Salt can ruin a dish very quickly. No one's sitting down to a meal, maybe at Thanksgiving, maybe you have dinner as a family on Sunday afternoon. Nobody like, says, hey, can you pass the salt and then pops the lid off and just dumps the whole thing on your meal? What would happen? You would quickly ruin your meal because salt has to come in the right amounts for it to actually be effective to what you want it to do. Here's a couple application points that I thought are kind of interesting that maybe we should take away from that thought. When it comes to impacting culture, Matthew 5, right, what Jesus is calling us to do, you notice that Christians, we often tend to show up in two fashions. Either we show up in the fashion where we're not salt at all, and we don't really show up at all, and we're not impacting culture whatsoever. We just stay within our holy little huddles, and we're not being salt to the world, bringing any kind of like addition or flavor or substance to our society. We don't influence. We just stay in our Christian circles, do our Christian things, and we don't impact in any way, shape, or form. All right, that's, that's leaving things bland. That's not showing up as salt in our cities and in our communities. Here's the second one that we do. We show up in the opposite extreme. Man, we're, we're pouring the salt on. Something happens in our, our culture, our society, and our community, and our city, and what do we do? Man, I gotta get on Facebook. And we just start typing away on Facebook this giant, just crazy rant where we just look like a mad person, like we're out of our minds. We show up with our picket signs, how terrible everything's going on in this society. Everything's falling apart, this is the worst. You see the extremes there? But salt, when it actually shows up in the right amount, with the right motive, in the right way, it actually becomes something that's beneficial to the community, that has an impact because you taste the salt in the dish. But in the right amount, it matters, and it's necessary, and it needs to be there. Salt is valuable for taste. That's what Jesus calls us to do. Secondly, let's talk about preservation. Culturally, again, we said a second ago, in this culture, they didn't have refrigerators. So some of y'all deer hunting season, so you got like half a buck sitting in your freezer, like right now. I get it. They didn't have this in their, their culture, so what would they do? Similar to our beef jerky, you get a slab of meat, you got to cover that thing in salt so that it doesn't decay. decay it like reduces the process of decay and helps the meat last longer. So as Christians, we're called to this preserving idea as well in our culture, but what are we preserving? We're preserving truth. We're the outpost of truth in a society that is spiritually decaying. Look at the 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul warns us of this hundreds of years before we're reading it. And he says this, For a time's going to come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. It means they don't want to hear what's in this book. They don't want to hear truth anymore. But according to their own desires, they're going to multiply teachers for themselves because they're going to have this itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth, and what are they going to turn to? They're going to turn aside to hearing myths instead. You see, so as Christians, when we show up as salt in our communities, in our workplaces, in our families, wherever we go, we refuse to compromise on truth. We make stands for truth, maintaining a picture of what God's kingdom is supposed to look like. Yeah, culture may say this, but we know this to actually be true. And in a culture of moral and spiritual decay which we're seeing, 
Christians are the salt that preserve the truth in that society when we're present, when we're actually present in our communities. Here's one last thing I want us to think about. Look at that verse again, Matthew 5, 13. That first phrase, you are the salt. That's actually interesting there because if you were to translate that directly from the Greek, like a very literal translation of those words, here's what this would say, actually. It would say, you're the only salt of the earth. You're it. That's why that first story matters so much because, like, we're the plan. Ephesians 3, Jesus' way of reaching the world is us. So when Jesus says in Matthew 5, you are the salt, it's literally the only salt of the earth is you guys. You're who I've left. Here's what's interesting too, Matthew 5.13, that word you right there is plural. It means it's the body of Christ. You there is not singular. It's actually a plural pronoun right there that Jesus chose to use. It's referencing the body of of Christ working together. Let's illustrate this one more time, then we'll go on to the light portion. Two weeks from now, you sit down at Thanksgiving. You're having your turkey and your sweet potatoes and your canned cranberry sauce because you're weird, your mac and cheese, your green beans, man, you're, you're having a meal. I mean, you take that first bite of your mashed potatoes, and every year we all do this. Ah, oh, man, these need salt. So somebody passes you the salt container, and you screw off the lid. You know what we don't do? First off, we don't just pour the whole thing on there because that ruins the potatoes. We also don't just pour out like one little grain of salt and throw it, oh, that's perfect, and then put it, and then just start eating it. You need multiple grains of salt to impact the mashed potatoes. But watch this. We don't, man, this this is so important. When I pour my salt on my mashed potatoes, nobody pours it in a little pile and goes, mmm, delicious. (laughs) What do we do? We scatter it. Because salt is most effective in multiple grains when it's scattered. Do you see the local church there? The grains work together when they're scattered all over the place. That's the missional mandate of who we are. When Jesus disperses Living Hope Columbus in 15 communities across the city, he's dispersing us as salt, working together towards a common mission of helping people find and follow Jesus all over the places. We're scattered. He needs us to be scattered. That's what he's called us to do. Here's the second one, gathered light. You can see the contrast occurring here in these two two scenarios. Verse 14, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. A city situated on a hill can't be hidden. You don't light a lamp and then put that dude under a basket. No, instead you put it on a lampstand. It gives light to a whole house. What's the purpose of light? It exposes and eliminates darkness. Spiritual darkness, we talked about that. And that's our commission to expose that as followers of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says this. For you were once in darkness, that was before we knew Jesus, but now you are the light of the Lord. So live as children of the light. Friends, when Jesus invaded my soul at the age of 15 years old, I am now tasked and commissioned, Matthew 28, to take the light that he has given me and take that to every corner of influence that he has given me as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, God said, Let light shine out of darkness. That's us. Spiritual darkness, light in those scenarios. Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the tension that we face with this one. And man, the Lord has just been bopping me on the head with this all week. Jesus says in these verses, it doesn't make sense. Man, this is a kindergarten illustration, but I want us to see this. It doesn't make sense to light a lamp and put it under a basket. Watch this. Can we bring the lights down for a second? You're like, Aaron, this is stupid. Just deal. Why? If I light, this is my lamp, okay, because we're in the 21st century. If I light my lamp to light up a room, 
It's like, hey, guys, it's dark in here. Anybody got a light? It's like, oh, yeah, I do. What? It doesn't make sense. We can bring the house lights back up. It doesn't make sense. I've got a light, and then we cover it up. Why? Because light works best when it's exposed, when it's uncovered. You say, Aaron, why is that so significant? Think about this. Lean into this. Let this hurt. Some of us have the light of Jesus in us, and nobody knows. That's what he's talking about. I've got the light of Jesus in me, and nobody knows. I'm covering it up. Jesus says in Matthew 5, light doesn't work when it's covered. But if the light of Jesus is in you, which we just saw in that previous verse, we also see it here in Matthew 5, if the light of Jesus is in me, I can't cover it up. It has to be let free. It has to be exposed. Jesus says, when the light is in you, you don't hoard it for yourself and cover it up. What do you do? You put it on a lampstand. When it goes up on a lampstand, that means it's no longer just for you, but it's for the benefit of those around you as well. It's for their benefit, too, that the light was lit. That's why Jesus changed me. It's not just for my benefit. It's part of it. But for your benefit and the benefit of those who don't know him yet. You don't hoard your light. You share it. Notice the other verse here, verse 14. Jesus says also, um, let's get to it. Oh, city on a hill. Nobody lights that, that city on a hill. He says, you, he says, you're the city on a hill as well. So we light this and we put it under a basket. He says, no, stop that. But he says, also, you are a city on a hill as well. Man, this is so cool. Two nights ago, I was driving uh, from up towards Delaware, down 23 towards my house. And there's a certain spot on Route 23, once you just get to like the Lewis Center area, where you can actually see the whole skyline of the city of Columbus. It's several miles away. But you can see it. It's kind of off in the distance, a little bit faint. But you can see the whole skyline. Well, the other night where I was driving, I came over that hill, and it was dark outside. It was like 4.30, right? It's 4.30, it's dark. And I come over this hill, and I look, and I see the entire landscape of Columbus. But this time it was glowing because it was night. Here's what's interesting. If I would have come over that hill at 4.30 and seen this whole cityscape of Columbus, and only one person in one office of all of those buildings had a light on, would I be able to see the city in the dark? But because there's multiple buildings there with multiple lights all over the place in the cityscape, guess what? The whole city glows. Do we see the church there? When Jesus calls us to be the light of the world, it's, it's several lights all gathered in one spot. That's the local church. You see, the salt is us scattered. The light is us gathered. And when it's gathered, it means I can be several miles from downtown Columbus and still see the city in the distance. Why? Because there's multiple lights that are functioning together that are making this thing glow, and I can see it for miles. The local church is no different. Verse 14, when Jesus says, you are a city on a hill, that's not singular again, it's plural. It's talking about the body of Christ. We're these shining lights that gather one day a week to provide this beacon of hope in the community where people can see this light, and then we scatter ourselves throughout the week as salt, where we're making a difference wherever Jesus places us. You see, here it is. Salt is the sending power of our local church. Light is the attractional force of the local church. That's where the point that Jesus is making here. Salt is the sending power. Light is the attractional force. So friends, why do we do this? Why do we live this out? Let me close with this story. William Carey, who you may have heard of, he's the father of modern missions. William Carey pastored a small congregation out in England back in 1792. 
He preached a message in 1792 that was entitled, Expect Great Things from God, Attempt Great Things for God. It's one of his most famous quotes that missionaries use literally all over the world now. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. His congregation would remember that sermon for years, but what's interesting is if you study history, that sermon not only had an impact on his church, but it had an impact on Carey specifically. He came home later that evening and God was challenging his soul, stirring in his soul, and the next year he decided to set sail for India because he knew God was calling him to go there and be salt and light and to make a difference. If you study missions history, you see what he did in India was astounding. We actually have a rep from our international mission board that's going to be here sharing in just a moment, and I'm sure he's familiar with several of these things. Kerry began a manufacturing plant there in India to employ several of these jobless people that lived there in the, the area. He translated the scriptures into their native tongue, and then he set up print shops to actually print the scriptures in their language. He established schools for people. He helped people with food and clothing, trying to get them these jobs so they could find this better place in a caste society so they could work their way up in that society, provided medical assistance to those that were fighting diseases, those that were ailing. You read Missions History and you find that what Carrie did was nothing short of a miracle. But why did he do that? Why do we go into our communities with the gospel, with this light? Why do we do that? Why are we salt? Well, first off, because Jesus said to be, but I read this this week and I thought this was such a good way to close out this whole series. It said that when William Carey was laying on his deathbed, that the very last words that he said before he took his last breath were this. He said, when I've gone, speak not of Carey, but speak of Carey's Savior. I love that. Why, why are we salt in a decaying word, world? Matthew 5, 16, we do it to elevate Jesus. Why are we light in a spiritually dark world? Matthew 5, 16, we do it to elevate Jesus. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Why are we for the city? To elevate Jesus. See how it all comes back around circle? We're for the gospel because we're for the church, because we're for the city, because we're for the gospel. It just works together. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thanks for your kindness to us. God, I pray today. God, that this simple message, Lord, whether it served as a reminder, God, or whether it served as, um, Lord, maybe this new commissioning that we needed. God, we'd never be content with just gathering as a church, Lord, but that we would seek to be missional, Lord, seeking to, to take the gospel and to take Jesus to every corner of the city where you've called us to go. Thank you for what you've done in our church so far, God. Thank you for what you're going to do in our congregation. God, thank you for calling us to make a difference in this corner of the city for generations to come. God, I pray now as we sing to you that it would just be a sweet sound to heaven. God, that you'd incline your ear to hear our voices. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Friends, let's stand as we sing.